All right, we're live. I'm Jose Galison on No Way Jose on the Liberty Movement YouTube channel. Today, my guest is Remzo Martinez. I mostly know him from the Second Print Podcast. Uh, you want to give us a quick introduction of you and uh, your, just a quick introduction of you and your works? Hell yeah. I'm Remzo W. Martinez. You can find me on Twitter at HeyRemso. Find me on Parlor at just Remso. If you ever see Remso 2 pop up, you have my permission to cyberbully them. But, uh, you know, I'm a published author. I've published two books. My first one was a comedic history of the modern libertarian movement it was called stay away from the libertarians recently came out this past year my first novel has exceeding devil has exceeding politics and other forms of devil worship all available at barnes noble and amazon and i host two shows i've got on the run with remso w martinez on the we are libertarians network and i co-host an awesome weekly show with mark claire covering the comics and movies and cartoons that made our fandom called the second print comics podcast you can find that at secondprintcomics.com all right, awesome. Uh, I mean, as you can tell, I mean, comics, comics, comics behind me. The 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 topic for today is going to be comics. So I uh, when I talk like it's everywhere, just manifest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the uh, topic we're. I mean, I already said that I'm I'm repeating myself now. But what we what I contacted Remzo and what I wanted to do is I wanted to do both of us just go back and forth and both of us have a pick one our favorite uh, comic or. When it comes to comics, comics is such a vague term, and and yeah. like I had I had to explain, you know, like because I, you know, it's like, are we talking single issue? Are we talking trade? Are we talking, you know, full run? Are we talking story arc? And it's just kind of whatever. So you know, who know? I don't know what Rambo's picks what, what, are. What I love about this is like when you told me that this is what we were doing, I probably came up with like five different singular stories each time. But what I love about this question is like five different people can ask me, and you know, you give enough space and time in between, I'm gonna come up with a different answer each time. But tonight, I think I've got one that that you're gonna dig. Yeah, and that's kind of what I, I I even said when I contacted you. Is like it can be one of your favorites because saying your favorite is like. I don't know, it's also almost like asking what your favorite kid is, you know, like, I mean, I guess it's not true. You know which one's your favorite. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that we're going to do, we're going to do the best because I know this is, a, we kind of go out to like an ANCAP, agorist, you know, libertarian audience. So not all of you are into comics. So their second pick is going to be something that would be a good intro book for something, for somebody new to comics to get into. And then the third was going to be most liberty minded comic. So uh, with that, you want to go ahead and start off with your first pick for favorite? Okay. So this was probably the only series that did not leave my top three. And as I really thought about it, it's like I, I really want to look at those three factors. And for the others, I'll, I'll have different titles. But this one, I think, is the end-all, be-all if I had to only pick one. But I was going for what is great for readers who have been understanding this stuff for many decades and people who have absolutely nothing, at least a view of these characters from like the movies, for example, which has been a great, great, great uh, gateway for people into fandom and into comics. And also what is just also a really good story, but also manages to get political without really alienating too many people. And this was actually the first episode of the second brick comics podcast that I produced it's episode two of the show. It's Secret War by Brian Michael Bendis. It's a five-issue limited series. Came out in 2004, 2005, and is probably by far, at least in my, my humble opinion, I think it's the greatest single series ever written. Hmm. I'm that's, willing that's to bold. die <laughs> on that hill. I think it's the single greatest comics limited series ever written. 
you want to give any perspective. No, yeah, you, you want to give us a quick rundown of the of the plot? Just obviously not like going too crazy because I, I mean, I don't think I read it, but I mean, I always just stay up to date and like what's going on. So because I don't remember that one too well, and so this like was a, this yeah. was a sleeper hit. Yeah, like this is one of those stories that was like I'm trying to get in the camera shot. <laughs> I'll just kind of do that. Okay, you saw it. You're good. Anyway, this was actually one of the first comics that I read, so it's got a little bit of that nostalgia factor. But what I judge a good comic off of is whether the story and the artwork is still something that could be objectively good later, years later. And I read this when I was uh, 12-ish, and I'm turning 26 this year. So, you know, for that 14-year gap, it's still by far my favorite. And what it basically is about is it's looking at the Marvel Universe in a world where, in, in, in all sense of it, a world where we had to watch what happened with the invasion of Iraq. Why did we go there? What are we doing there? Who are our friends? Who are our allies? And, and the great thing I love about comics is it's always been a medium for people to go ahead and have big discussions and put them in the realm of fiction so that way we could feel more comfortable discussing on certain topics. And basically what happens is, uh, you know, it's post 9-11 America. As anyone who's read the comics understands, big events that happen in the real world tend to happen in the comics. And for New York, you know, New York is the backdrop. It might as well be a character itself in the Marvel Universe. So uh, New York after 9-11, it's affecting these heroes. It's affecting resident badass Nick Fury. And what ends up happening is you've got... Uh, Victor Von Doom, Dr. Doom, somehow the leader of Latveria, a country over in Eastern Europe, it's he's, he's disappeared. We don't know what's happened to him. We think he's dead, but he's been replaced by the super awesome, you know, doctor science lady chick named Lucia Von Bardis. And she's kind of a dictator, but also kind of not. And she's friendly with the United States, but not that friendly. And what ends up happening is you have a bunch of these C-list Marvel villains that go around New York and they've basically got the super high-tech getup going on. Like they're actually dangerous. They're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Avengers. And that's something that captures Nick Fury's attention. And basically what he figures out is that um, Lucia Von Bardis is hiring this guy called the Tinker to create basically superpowered terrorists through these C-list villains. And at this point, Nick Fury is like, I can't let another 9-11 happen on my watch. So he goes over to the White House and he says, hey, uh, Mr. President, uh, th this lady's doing some pretty nefarious stuff. And we think that she's going to do something even worse than what we just dealt with a few years ago. Give me permission to go ahead and invade Latveria. And the president is like, no, Nick, you can't do that. So at this point, Nick Fury goes rogue. Uh, at this point, he can't even use shield resources to go ahead and take her out. So what he does is, and I have to look at the cover, uh, he, it, he, what he does is he recruits superheroes from the Marvel Universe that owe him favors for things over time. Every uh, one of them. <laughs> basically, he gets Wolverine, he gets, uh, you know, Wolverine, Spider-Man, Black Widow, Luke Cage, uh, Captain America, and Daredevil. And he basically somewhat blacks, you know, he's calling in these favors and stuff. He's blackmailing them kind of. And uh, what he does is he creates his own little black ops unit to go. And, you know, what they think they're going to do is they're going to take down a big superhero, supervillain, you know, super terrorist factory. But what ends up happening is they end up blowing up the capital of Latveria, Doomstadt, and they end up killing Lucia Von Bardis. So not to get into too much spoiler territory, but years have passed and Nick Fury erased their memories of that. 
And what's happening is all these people connected to that moment are now coming back and they're trying to get revenge on what happened. So they're trying to figure out, you know, like, why is this happening? What is Nick Fury hiding from us? Did we do something like, you know, Spider-Man starts getting memories back and stuff. And he's like, guys, I think something happened. I'm getting these really crazy nightmares. And, you know, what it does is it creates a, a, a really great mystery story, uh, you know, very, you know, like 70s spy film, like, um, you know, Seven Days of the Condor, very much like Captain America Winter Soldier, if you really like the vibe of that. And what it shows is what happens when people are willing to do evil things for what they see are good reasons. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a book with a lot of ethical quandaries and, you know, whether you're reading this in 2004, 2005, like when I did, or whether you're reading this today, like these are still very much conversations and stuff we're asking right now. And I mean, from the artwork by Gabrielle Delato to, I think this is Brian Michael Bendis is uh, best story ever. Um, you know, there's just so much good in this. It's one thing when books try and go really political, and they kind of sacrifice the story, but this has really good story and really good messages with it. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's really just one of those diamond in the roughs. This was not popular until 2010 when Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 came out and the front end of that, yeah, the front end of that video game, which leads into Civil War, that made this more popular. So, you know, Secret War by Brian Michael Bendis and Gabrielle Delato, by far my absolute favorite. And knowing Bendis, it probably completely fucked the canon. <laughs> well, he, you know, this I, I call it the. Um, uh, sorry about that. Um, uh, I completely forgot. So this is really like one of the last great Nick Fury stories, which is you know really great because a few years later he's gonna basically be wiped out of Marvel continuity is going to be replaced of Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury. Oh, so yes, this is white Nick Fury. So I couldn't remember if it was yeah. white or black. That's a whole other mess. I mean, yeah. Oh, we, Mark and I did an episode of that recently. And like, it was, uh, it, it was just one of the most shoehorns things ever. So if you're a fan of like, we call him David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury. If you're a fan of David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury, this is probably going to be the, I think it's the best Nick Fury story out there. Because I mean, what it does, oh, sorry. yeah, I mean, what, what it does is it shows him really in his element. It is a Nick Fury story. So, uh, I mean, if you love, if you love the heroes that you see on screen, if you love taking them out of the typical superhero, you know, guys in tights fighting robots genre, and you want to really put them in the real world, uh, this just does not get any better. Yeah, the old school Nick Fury is way better, in my opinion. I mean, they kind of have made the new Nick Fury into the old Nick Fury just with a different, you know, package. But it's, uh, I don't know, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, it was just, yeah, I don't feel like it takes away from it. I get why no, they did no it. No one, but. I mean, no one can say there's really a good Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury story. He's almost yeah. like forced exposition. Yeah. Whereas I can name some good Nick Fury stories that are genuinely good, but none of them have Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury in it. So mm. it's like we like the idea of him. But when you actually pull out like the actual stories and stuff, it doesn't really flesh out very well. No. I don't know, he also, Nick Fury is usually like a supporting character anyways. He's usually not the, the head dude. 
But yeah, I know it's kind of a shame what they did to him. And then they kind of wrote him off with, uh, I forget which event it was later, where he kind of made him the man on the moon and took over the Watchers. That was uh, so freaking <laughs> stupid. Original Sin from 2014, 2015. It was like, what, what, what I hate about the films is that they try and cater the comics to this new audience that's coming in. But the reality is the movies actually don't drive comic sales. And that's yeah. the thing that they keep trying to say happens. But when you look at numbers, you know, the sales just keep dipping and dipping and dipping every year, even in digital, they're dipping. And, you know, you see print somewhat on a rise, but um, it, it's just not really there because what they've done is they've sacrificed good original storytelling for just real, you know, canned rehashed bullshit that we see every, every year now. And, you know, the, the cool thing about Secret War is that it's not a typical comic book crossover event. Like, you didn't need to read, like, a dozen, you know, spin-off limited series and one-shots and crossovers from other titles. Like, the, the five issues in here, it's just this. This is all you need to read to understand it. And, and I kind of like that. One, from a perspective of I don't like buying a ton of shit and feeling like I'm missing out. And two, you know, if this is going to be the story, this should be it. And I shouldn't have to read anything else. And so there was just one trade. Is yep. that one? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Civil War Civil War is the same way too. It was just one trade. I know a lot of people like Civil War. So. Uh, I mean, so Civil War had crossovers of 13 yeah. titles. And a bajillion tie-ins, but if you saw the main story. Was, yeah, I mean, that, yeah. You, you, were, you were right in the sense that you could just read Civil War and you didn't need to read everything else. But the interesting thing about it was Civil War was one of the last big events where they had good crossovers. Um, you know, what they did of Spider-Man unmasking Spider-Man stuff, that was a really good story. Uh, what they end up showing in Captain America, because Captain America was such, you know, at the focal point of Civil War, they made the Captain America Civil War crossover is almost all about the Winter Soldier. So it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't really need to buy it. It wasn't that interesting. Mm. All right, I'll move on to my next one. Uh, you went short and succinct, and I went the complete opposite. I got all... <laughs> I got Alan Moore's Run of Swamp Thing. It's kind of funny though you brought oh up like a political. Uh, Alan Moore is, is well known for a couple of things. One being an asshole. Two being uh, <laughs> two being uh, basically an ancom. I'm pretty sure he's a self-professed ancom. And reading a lot of these books, there's multiple stories in there where I completely disagree with the moral of the story. But he's such a fucking good writer that it's like, and he's not. You gotta to respect him. Yeah, and he's not yeah. one to beat you over the head with his message. So, like, because I remember there was one story in this, in this, like, his run, uh, where it was like a super duper over the top, you know, liberal environmentalism type thing. You like just like over the top to where I don't agree with it. And e even then, just the way he did it, it wasn't so crazy that I like. I still enjoyed it. It was like I, you take it for what it is, you know. And I mean, you kind of maybe learn to understand his perspective a little bit, but it's. It's not like this, like annoying, over the top. Like, actually, a discussion. I did a literature episode the other day, and I brought up. Uh, I'm not actually a fan. I've only read the Fountainhead of Ayn Rand's works. Mm -hmm. Didn't really care for it. Fucking dry, boring. Kind of beats you over the head with her philosophy a little bit, in my opinion. It was just over the top. And yeah, I mean, that's just my opinion. A lot of people love it. So, but I didn't have that I, effect I, I would, more. I, w I would agree to a to a certain part. Like the thing is, like art should be art. Mm. And the focus should be on something that's objectively well. I mean, art, even even art cannot be objectively good. But the thing is, like her her first novel was the was um was Anthem, and mm. Anthem is you know like a scientific dystopian future type of thing. Anthem's pretty good, short, sweet, succinct, original. Has a lot of good points, but also just a really good story. Uh, I I'm 
you know, I, I've read Atlas Shrugged a couple of times, and it's basically just her using her character as a sock puppet sometimes. I don't think she's a great fiction writer beyond that. So if you read Ayn Rand and you like Ayn Rand, you, you can like her, but her storytelling isn't great. That's what bugs me about uh, people who are probably more left of center. Like, you know, Bendis is a pretty flaming, like flaming liberal. But he's written some of my best, uh, my favorite stories, and I think he's one of the best writers in the business. He's had just as many strikes as he's had hits, and uh, you know, with Alan Moore, I, I agree with you 110. percent Like his big thing was, let's just make a really good story, and if I throw my politics in there, it won't be necessarily to lecture people, but it'll be to make people think and keep their attention and make them wanting to see where this goes. And that's the knack of a good storyteller. When you can take people like us who may disagree with him, but you come out with stories and we're like, just take my money. Just take my money, man. Yeah. No, it's weird because it's like I almost I prefer stories that have a moral, but it's weird because I feel like I actually don't have to agree with the moral. It's just it's almost like the moral is kind of what ties the story together. But it's at the same time, it's a story that brings me. So if you give me a good story, and if I can't, if I don't agree, that as long as you write good characters and, a, and an appealing story, you know, I can sympathize with them. And it's like it's just because the same thing. Like I gotta have a super raging lefty friend, and I can sympathize with their perspective. I just don't agree with it, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I guess that's where I'm. Where I would come. Did from uh, did Did you watch the HBO Watchmen series? Oh fuck, that was bad. I got like I tried so hard. I, I don't remember how many episodes. I got like two or three episodes in. It's funny because I had a buddy who uh, like really was going on about how great it was, and he is probably a little bit. I'd say like left of center. You know, I very much like when I talk to him about like libertarian type stuff. He kind of is definitely is like like he kind of like doesn't have really any issues with it, but it's like he kind of leftish. So I don't know if it was just like he was kind of in that like spot where he could kind of be like, oh okay, but I, I don't know. It was just bad. It was just like so like racism bad. That's what I got out of that show. And it was just like beating you over the head with it. And it was just, I feel like they didn't understand the characters from that show. I mean, I don't know if you agree. I love Watchmen. I, I, I basically, yeah, like I, I really, I, I watched it because I found it entertaining. I would not say it's like the bet, one of the best superhero films ever. I call it really good fan fiction. Mm. it's like i all well i think even dc was like yeah don't consider this continuity because you know they always want to do a bunch of other stuff like doomsday clock and all, all, all this other stuff that's been going off watchmen as they try and pull that cash cow but like with uh with that series i think you know i watched it in real time so i watched it weekly and i didn't really like it the first time going around but i went ahead and actually binged it and i liked it and i i will say it totally came with a fully loaded agenda i voted for trump they obviously have a very low opinion of trump voters okay i get it but they did things there that i thought were objectively entertaining and whether i think it was uh you know uh you know great feats of you know television history and you know from panel to to screen adaptations not really i could say it's entertaining and i would tell people yeah i think it's worth watching because it's different and that, that's the issue I see with a lot of shows. There's a lot of people that do two things. One, they either try and go on the SJW Rage soapboxes, or two, they just try and rehash you a lot of the similar shit that you've seen before. Uh, last couple seasons of, uh, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., just Buffy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really just it. It's just Buffy. Uh, I, I liked... Um, you know, I liked Gotham, but, you know, Gotham, as far as they wanted to go and try and do new shit, it's just Batman. 
without really Batman because it was safe. So they want to go really far and they want to be safe, but they also really want to push things out. And I think the problem with the Watchmen was exactly as you said, I don't think they actually knew, understood the material at all because all the things that they could have done to drive their points were already there. They just went the exact opposite way because I don't think they have fundamental understanding of the characters. Like, no. spoiler alert, there's stuff with Dr. Manhattan wanting to, you know, find and live a life as a human. That completely negates the whole original graphic novel. That and the, 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 the like, I don't know if it was like, I only watched a couple of episodes, so like the almost borderline cult that formed up around Rorschach. It was like a complete. They, there, there's no explanation of that. And it's just like, how would anyone get that out of Rorschach? And yeah. I don't know if they just was a convenient, like, oh, guy with a white mask. We can make this, like, kind of like modern-day KKK. It was almost like they were purposely – That, that was such a large, idea beforehand. That, that was yeah. such a big reach, though. Yeah, such a big reach. But I, I don't know. Yeah. That's, like, not what what he was in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> if anything, he was, like, a objectivist, but not in the, like, Ayn Rand sense to the to the extreme degree. He was just, like, right yeah. is right, wrong is uh, – wrong is wrong that's that's what rorschach was about he was not at all about that so i don't know it's just kind of like i don't get how a cult would form up around him with that ideology but a hundred percent it made no sense so so things yeah. like that it's really weird you know some people were like oh they took out all the watchman characters and replaced them with the black woman it's so 20 it's so 2019 it's so yeah, that, that's the thing i cared about the least she, she, yeah i mean i actually thought that she was interesting yeah like she actually like the fact that they made it 20 uh 30 years later of course you gotta have different characters and i i, I thought she was a good actress i actually think that she was the best part of the film i'm sorry of the series and everyone else just kind of phoning it in like the chick that played silk specter um such a lost opportunity i mean the part where they bring in the giant dr manhattan dildo was funny but that's about it everything yeah, else like oh you you got Google that scene. Do Silk Spectre, Dr. Manhattan, Dildo on YouTube. You search it anywhere else, you're going to find some crazy shit. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that was that was kind of funny. But they, what they did was I feel – and I see that I, – I say the same thing about the, the last three Star Wars films. What they did was they sacrificed the lasting impression of the original core characters in order to build up new characters. But they didn't build them up because they were genuinely good – they built them up by just bringing everyone else down. Yeah. And like uh, with um, with Hooded Justice, who's towards the last couple episodes of the film, I mean, of the series, I keep calling it a movie, uh, of the series, like that's a character who I think, okay, maybe he could be interesting, but he's not interesting because there's anything objectively really interesting about him. He's a bunch of different identity politics buzzwords he's gay he's black he's a cop uh you know he's he's into all this other stuff it's like you, you could throw all that stuff on him but is he a good character and he wasn't but the only reason why they tried to pay, you know build him up as this big hero is because they tried to just bring everyone else as low as they possibly could and i think that's the worst form of storytelling yeah no i mean i feel like the story's me character driven and then like the moral of the story or whatever your point is should be like secondary almost i guess would be a way to put it so uh let's move on to uh let's move on to the best for new readers what would be your pick for that oh man like i had an idea but uh does it have to be political 
No, not at all. I mean, the whole point of this show is to be like, yeah. our idea with the liberty movement is we need a uh, like a non-political, cultural like type type push. So yeah. if anything, like whatever, it's kind of like culture with like a little side of like the philosophy. I, I'd say uh, I'd say Invincible by Robert Kirkman. That was yeah. that was awesome, and I, and I also think I'm bringing it up now because the animated series is going to be coming out on Amazon. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it, it's very much it, it's very much like the reverse Spider-Man. Like, what if you grew up with your parents and you kind of had to learn everything in reverse? Like, you had all the powers and you had all the you know all all, all the powers and all the fame and everything, but then you had to learn the responsibility part. And what, what I think about uh, that book is really and you see this have very definitive run. I think it went to like 150 issues or something. But what I think was great about it was it's really much a, a story about free will. Like you've got invincible and you've got his father, Omni man, who's like their version of Superman. And then Omni man turns out to be a villain. And for invincible, he's like, well, who am I? Am I somebody that has to go along with my father's plan or do I choose to be a hero? And then they, they, you know, they bring the government involved and the government has all these sanctioned superhero teams. And it's like, a, a, am I, a, you know, what makes a hero because I willingly do it or because it's my job? So I think with that, it's probably, even though it's a book that's very comic booky and in many ways, Robert Kirkman kind of uh, called it a satire of the comic book industry and the superhero genre. It, it's probably, I call it one of the most human books. Yeah. Because like when, when they go into a lot of certain topics, like it's um, it, it's really trying to address the world around us where I think we at one point in our life, everyone wanted to be a superhero. And really, um, uh, Grayson, who's who's invincible, um, you know, at many points, it's like, you know, he's just a regular guy who got these powers. The only thing that made him so different was that he happened to be born of them in a world where not many people are. So what would happen to me if I did that in many ways? It's very much like Spider-Man in the 60s. So, you know, I think what, what's great about Kirkman is he can you can have those conversations and you can cover those topics and you can have this big overlapping question throughout the series, which I think is very much in the vein of a liberty spirit. Like you want to do good because you know what's right and you can tell what's wrong and you shouldn't be forced to go ahead and do it and you shouldn't force others to go ahead and follow along with what you want just because you're more powerful than them. And it's also just a lot of ass kicking action, which I totally love too. So whether you, so whether you just want to see awesome artwork and awesome fighting and great, uh, great stories, or you really want to deep into something that's going to grow up over time, like, um, like, uh, like invincible did. I mean that, I think that's the best series for people, especially folks that don't really want to get into superhero comics, but also want something that, you know, makes fun of it all while at the same time taking it itself very seriously at the same time. Yeah. It's a, uh, I almost picked that for my favorite. Um, really? because, yeah, the reason why I didn't is because I'm only at volume 20. And so it just felt weird for one I hadn't completed. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, that's, there's so many good fight scenes. Like, I don't know if you remember, God, I can't remember the name of the guy, but the fight scene with the uh, the one um, Viltrumite who uh, who's like trying to take over. I think it's Onslaught or no? Oh Onslaught, my gosh! But, uh, yeah, that that guy was that guy was screwed up. But my my favorite was uh, when he was making fun of comic books that uh, are all about the death of a hero, mm. and you have the 
like big dinosaur guy. I think his name was like uh, oh, I know you're talking about yeah, Dragonus or something like that. And he he was he was basically like Doomsday, but with Lex Luthor's brain. So he yeah. was super smart and he could outsmart you, but he was also viciously like crazy evil. So he would like eat your heart out in front of your family and stuff. And he blew up Las Vegas. And that was one of those things where it's like, God damn, that got that got no you know, that, that, that guy's so things was he was a uh, he was God. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, a it's a, there's an actual term for it where it's uh, like you're only for the greater good. Kind of be like he'd be willing to kill. It's kind of like the uh, trolley problem. Like he would have no problem pulling the switch, kind of deal. But to to the nth degree, that was his yeah. whole thing because he was like a super genius, and it was like he knew that hey, if I destroy uh, Las Vegas, it was like this is going to further lead to you know you know, save this many lives and blah, blah, blah. And it's actually kind of like, it really goes kind of like Thanos. Yeah. And it really demonstrates how this is such a human story. Cause that's actually one thing in that story. Grayson actually kind of like starts to f- like believe in him and starts to come to his side later here in the air of his ways. It's so it, you saying it's human. It's probably one of the best ways to put it. Cause it's like, there's so many different scenarios or like stuff that you could actually see being in real life. And it, but it's not in this like, phoned in sitcom type way it's like real like you can feel it like i don't know there's a lot of a lot of good stuff in there it's yeah like, i highly suggest it yeah and i mean what what's funny kirkman you know always kind of pitched it as a satire of it and we see a lot of different satires yeah. of the superhero genre i i like the boys but i think the boys is not i wouldn't call it the best because it's not that you're taking people that exist in like the real world and you're imagining them in these situations. Everyone in the boys is just terrible. Like they're all terrible and the whole outlook is terrible. So I don't think you're ever going to get any good outcomes from it. Of course, if season two, I mean, they really try and amp it up and I think it was pretty lackluster in the end, mm. but I mean, with the invincible, what, what I liked about it is, um, and this is why I also really like about creator own comics. They can do things that you can't do in other comics like Spider-Man. You know, they let him live like a full life into his forties and then they brought him back like 10 years. And now he will probably be fixed in like his uh, mid to, you know, uh, mid, 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 I want to say like late twenties, early thirties for like another 40 years. And then they'll probably dial it back somehow with the retcon with uh, Mark Grayson, the, the character invincible, you see him through his entire life. And, you know, I know that you're getting to that point, but it really does end at the real end of his story. And I think that's what's beautiful because we never get to see heroes living a full life cycle in comics because, you know, that would end the money. And for Robert Kirkman, he was like, listen, it would defeat the story and it would make all these other messages and all these events seem like nothing if he just went on for another 50 years. Yeah, Constantine is the only yeah. character that I know that did that. The Constantine yeah. is the character that did that before he came over to DC back in the day. Yeah. He, he aged with the comic. So, but that's it, a rare yeah, thing. It, and I mean, those early Constantine stories are the best, though, especially in Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the DC. Yeah, I was talking about, like, I think before he even came to DC, he mm-hmm. was, I think, actually, like, his, uh, his, him showing up in Swamp Thing was one of his first appearances in DC. But yeah. before that, he was known for, like, that was his thing. He actually aged, like, mm-hmm. as it went on. And they kind of went to his health problems because he was a frequent smoker and, like, yeah, it was a whole thing. I mean, I never read those comics, but I know that was why it was significant for a lot of people that he aged along with the comic. I don't think he ever got like old, old. I don't know. I never, I never read it. 
But that, uh, I mean, that, that type of stuff is like why I like Sherlock Holmes. It's why I like James Bond. I like the James Bond books a lot more than the movies because you get to see the impact of everything. Whereas with every James Bond film, minus the Craig stuff where it's all, it's all connected, uh, every James Bond film could theoretically be the first if you really want to look at it that way. And with, uh, with comics now, I mean, they're always going to do that. So when he ended Invincible, I remember reading the last issue. And in a way, I was just disappointed because, like, there's so much more he could do. But then as I finished it, I'm like, but really, did he have to do more? And I think he ended it on such a high note. That series, you know, and, and not, not to get too spoilery, but, you know, he, ha- he, he gets old. He has kids. What does the world look like around them? Because you can't be freaking Superman and not have impacted the world. And in the world of uh, Invincible, now you're dealing with a whole galaxy. Like things have to matter for people to change. And the big criticism of like, you know, the main heroes is that no matter what you do, none of it matters because the change doesn't last. Yeah. Where I'm at right now is old lady's pregnant, but it is one of those things that like, Mm -hmm. And that's actually been a big crux of the story for a lot of parts is like you can feel like I'm a dad. I have two two daughters. They're uh, 10 and 8. So like it's kind of like you can feel that like real life like the like the stakes are fucking real. Like there's a lot of times where it's like not just joking around like we're playing hero anymore. It's like no like this is my you know it's this girlfriend I think at the time and they're like engaged and it's like and this is my like child to be. And it's like I don't know there's a lot of times where it's like. And he also has to play a lot of times with that whole like morality of being a hero of like, do you kill people? Cause like there are a couple times where he just goes straight fucking savage and just murders the fuck out of some like evil people. And like, which I don't blame him for at all, especially like, cause there's been a couple scenes where it has to do with like his, his, his old lady and his fucking like soon to be kid. And it's like, yeah, I would fucking kill some people. <laughs> like, and he does. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's uh, it, it really grapples with that. I mean, because it's almost like a silly trope in comics that they do that, where it's like the whole. I mean, it is kind of endearing in a way, but the whole like a lot of heroes, real heroes, don't kill and stuff like that. But you know, for you know, every t- every time there's a season, you know. <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up. I I interviewed Chuck Dixon four years ago, and uh, Chuck Dixon did Batman. He did Nightfall. He did Punisher. And ironically, he said that his favorite character, right, was Lisa Simpson when he did the Simpsons comics, which I think to go from Batman to Punisher, Lisa Simpson was, uh, was pretty crazy. And uh, Chuck Dixon's a pretty, pretty red in the wool conservative Republican NRA member and stuff. And I asked him, you know, when you wrote Batman, you didn't make, you didn't make him out to be anything different, but you wrote some pretty serious dialogue about, you know, like what makes Batman different from Azrael, who takes over as Batman after Bruce Wayne breaks his back. And you wrote very, I wouldn't call them anti-gun dialogue, but you were very much like Batman does not have weapons. Batman does not use guns. And I was like, what was it like doing that? Because if anyone else was politically different from you, they totally would have wanted their own take on Batman. And I'm going to leave a lasting impression. I'm going to change character forever. And he was like, dude, it's simple because I was writing Batman. Yeah. I'm not writing Chuck Dixon as Batman. I'm writing Batman, someone that knows the character and knows the lore and, you know, respects this and what happened with previous authors and future authors. I have to be true to Batman. And I go back and I look at those comics and, and Mark and I did an episode on the first volume of Nightfall. And I'm like, this is Batman. 
Like it doesn't have to make sense. What what I think is stupid is when they they take him to like the the max of it. And I really th- uh, Ben Affleck is my favorite Batman, but I'm yeah. upset that they went with like the Dark Knight Returns version in the film. But even then, they went over the top with it because even then, the Dark Knight Returns. It's been a while since I've read Dark Knight Returns, but even then, like he did kill a little bit in Dark Knight Returns. He was a little bit over the edge, but it was like it was genuinely like seemed like sometimes it was incidental. Whereas in Batman vs Superman, it was like I know he's just was, doing it just to do it. Yeah, I mean, like I know there were times like uh, what Snyder after the fact in interviews was like basically tried to act like they were incidental. But it was like if I throw a grenade at someone and it blows up and kills them, I can't be like, "Oops, they were in the way of the explosion." Like, no, you just fucking killed some dudes. <laughs> yeah, and, and what, what that's what really bothered me about the scene where they're at the harbor in Gotham City. Which, by the way, I guess some somebody announced that Gotham City is actually in New Jersey, apparently, mm-hmm. which makes so much sense. But um, when, when he's in the Batmobile and he's just freaking pancake people and blowing them up and <laughs> you're just seeing so much collateral damage, I'm standing back like that. That, that what, what bothered me about that wasn't that he just killed. What bothered me was that he was reckless with it and he didn't care how much he had to destroy and who he had to kill to get the job done. Whereas even in like the Dark Knight Returns where that version of Batman was based off of, everything is done with intention. Like Batman, whether it's in the cartoons or the comics, wherever, he doesn't just do shit just because. He always does it with a reason he knows what he's doing. Whereas that Batman, it's like he just doesn't care. And even then, even in Dark Knight Returns, the few times he got sloppy and made mistakes, they made a point of it that it was like, yes. this is this is what's yes. happening because you're getting old, because you aren't what you used to be. You're getting sloppy. And it was almost like a subtext in the uh, in the story of like, you need to fucking stop because like, look what's become what you're doing, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. So, and it, like it was made a point. It wasn't just like, oopsies, killed some motherfuckers. <laughs> but like, like when, like when he does stuff, like the, it, it's like you're, the, it's like Frank Miller takes you back to look at it and to understand what is happening. And just like you said, it was done with purpose. Uh, Zack Snyder, who I think is a great director, I've seen. I, I think the director's cut is better than what we saw in theaters. I, I've, I love the the director's cut of Batman v Superman. But even still, th- that that focus is not there. If anything, it just doubles down. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. He just doesn't care regardless. There's no change. There's no change in him at all. And it'll be interesting to see what they do in, in, the, in the HBO Max Justice League. Yeah, I'm looking forward because to it. I don't. I don't think it's going to get any better for Batman. I'm excited to see more Batflick. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I'm upset that he's gone. But I don't know if it's going to be the type of Batflick that we want to see. Yeah, the issues I had with the Bat Batfleck were were story writing issues. And even then, like honestly, if you got rid of him just straight up murdering people, I'd be like, "Okay, perfect." You know, aside from Justice League because Justice League it was very like phoned in and very hokey. And like I was like, this is trash. But like Batman versus Superman, Batman. Aside from the just like, you know, just straight murdering people, like that was the biggest thing that took me out. But aside from that, yeah, like that was a very yeah. good rendition of Batman. It, it, and I would say the same thing about uh, Henry Calville as Superman. I think he's the best on-screen Superman since Christopher Reeves himself. But 
I don't think he was ever written well in the films. Mm -hmm. And what bothered me about Superman in Man of Steel and, uh, you know, Dawn of Justice is that he's a Superman that questions too much. Mm -hmm. Because the thing about Superman is what makes him a hero isn't his powers. What makes him a hero is his heart and his grounding, which is his family. And that's what makes him human. That's what makes him really the greatest hero of all time. In Batman versus Superman and all this other stuff, he's like, why am I saving these people? They focus too much on the aspect of him being a god as mm -hmm. opposed to the aspect of him being a man. Which like, ignores the know, point entirely. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And it was like, and also he's supposed to be a symbol of hope. And they, they just missed the point entirely. Like the, I don't know. I get what you mean where he was so close. And also Batman vs. Superman, the whole plot was so fucking contrived. It was irritating. Because it was yeah. like they were trying to pull out uh, the Batman for the um, Dark Knight Returns, you know, the fight. And the Dark Knight Returns fight was completely made sense. And it, like, you mean whether you disagree with it or not, a lot of people complain that like uh, Superman that like worked for the government was, uh, you know, was kind of uh, out of character. I think you can kind of see it, you know, if he saw that this is my only way to be able to continue to do good and, you know, not cause problems, you know, whatever. I could see, you know, I mean, I could see both sides of the argument. But either way, it made sense. The, the way they explained it, it just didn't make sense at all. Like, for Batman to it was just so the, the Doomsday <laughs> fight, I think, was such an abortion of the film. <laughs> yeah. So freaking stupid. Yeah, CGI orgy. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, it, it, like, the, the purpose of that is to make the story better not make the death of Superman worse. <laughs> like, that should have been almost a separate movie, the whole Doomsday thing, you know, another, you know, Superman story, but, yeah. I don't know. With that, let's uh, let's move on to my pick for the, I don't know if you've ever re read this, but God Country by Donny Cates. Oh, you read this? No, I like Donny Cates. I have not read that. You need to read it. It's fucking good. It's, it's, all this is one volume. It's not connected to another like ongoing story. Anything. It's who published it? Uh, image. Okay. Um, oh, that that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't start reading him until I started reading Venom. Yeah. And I I know Mark uh Mark Mark's reading Thor right now, and he's like, this is some of the best stuff I've read ever. Yeah, it's his breakout hit. Is what this was was God Country. Oops, I just dropped it. But oh well. <laughs> but uh, no, it's the the plot is he's a uh, all right. There's an old guy. I forget the names of the characters. But there's an old guy. He has Alzheimer's. He was kind of known for being like the town badass, being kind of gruff. He has a son who's his caretaker. Who you know, there's some backstory of like I think the son's mother died at a young age. So like I think the father was kind of a single dad for a while, and he was kind of gruff. You know, the you know the generic you know southern dad who was kind of gruff, didn't say I love you all that much or give you hugs. And, you know, the, that, that guy also has his own kids. So he's like that. The old guy is a uh, he's a granddad. You know, he's a, he's a yeah. granddaughter. And there is all of a sudden, just at one point, a sword falls to earth, this crazy sword. And for some reason, the, 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 the old guy who's known for like kind of leaving because he's stubborn as fuck and he just does what he wants because he's kind of still got the mentality of his younger self, you know, like a, a whippersnapper kind of deal. Like I do what the fuck I want. And like. You know, he's like the, the generic dementia patient that gets into places he shouldn't, you know. Yeah. And he picks up the sword and all his memories are restored. And he's able to, like, he's back to normal. And the sword, like, kind of grants him, like, powers and shit. It's apparently, come to find out, the sword is the literal god of swords. And you kind of find out there's this, like, other pantheon of gods that he ends up having to fight. 
you know, because they want the sword back, but apparently the sword's kind of like Mjolnir in a sense, where it's like it only goes to who's worthy, and that's kind of why it came to him, and I guess who it went to before, it no longer deemed worthy, and it's this whole, like, it's it's just beautiful because it gives him his memories back, and it kind of becomes this whole family story, because the whole time his family is like, give them back the fucking sword, because we're all going to fucking die, but like, it's like these, like, bigger than 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 life gods keep coming to be like give us back our sword and there's these monumental battles between the grandfather and these different like you know the uh, deities essentially and they're the whole time just pleading with him to give it back and then later you come to find out that like because it's kind of like the son just being exasperated with him like why are you doing this why are you doing this and at one point there is a scene this beautiful scene at the end of the book where like i think they both touch the sword at the same time and it passes on the memories of the father to him. Oh, and it's wow. kind of like it's kind of like this is why he doesn't want to like. And it kind of like shows like this, like you know, because you, you, and the granddaughter and everything are everything to him. For to him, lose that sword is for him to lose everything. And it's just like I'm not gonna lie. I think I actually cried when I read the book. It's fucking beautiful. That's that's <laughs> a, that's the type of thing you don't see in yeah. comics. You don't see that in film either. Yeah, that is. Man, that's fucking deep. <laughs> yeah, it's deep as fuck. And you're like, holy shit. Because it's just like, and it's multi-generational too. Because it goes between the love between the father and his son. You know, the love between a, a granddad and his granddaughter. Because for him, he never really got to experience his granddaughter. Like, this is the only experience with his granddaughter. And it's like, I honestly kind of get a little emotional thinking of the book. That's how good it was. Donnie Cates is such a good fucking writer. And like, yeah, like, cause it's like, this is the only experience he ever really had with his granddaughter. And like it's he's having to deal with like maybe being taken away from him. And it's just like I think he kind of at the end kind of does let go of it in a sense. But it, yeah, it's like he literally to the death of him is like, no, I'm not fucking losing this. <laughs> like, No. And it, 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 I don't know, it's beautiful and tragic. And it's just everything a story should be. And it, but it's also so I think for like a new reader, it's so easy to digest and fairly short. And it's not something that's tied to a larger mythology. So it's just like a good thing to jump into and be like, and a great spot for like, holy shit, this is what comics can be. It's yeah. I would highly suggest reading. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, what, what's, what, what, what's just great too, is that there, there are a lot of really good writers who I think people tend to exaggerate because they're paired with really good artists. Mm. Then you have just really good writers that give artists a challenge and I haven't always been a big fan of everyone that's done the artwork for Donny Cates books, but that's because I think they struggle to deal with his level of storytelling. He knows how to do it. And, you know, I think if he even wrote regular books, it would be fine. But he, he is he's an example of what happens when you get the perfect person and the perfect medium and you just go to town with it. Uh, with, with that story, how many issues is it? It's one. It's one trade volume. I don't know how many oh, issues. I, I want to say it's probably like three to five, maybe. It's just one trade I, I, volume. I think that's. I think that's yeah. a perfect amount, especially for yeah. a singular story like that. I gotta pick yeah. that up. It's gonna go on my list. Yeah, it's really, really good. I highly suggest to anyone. It's great. Like I'm not gonna lie. It's like my wife's like, "Why the fuck are you crying?" Like, shut the fuck up. My <laughs> 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 yeah. gosh, that that that's how I know it's good. Yeah. Um. Uh, so you want to go? Let's go ahead and move into your liberty-minded pick. Let's see what you got there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, shoot, like I had an idea at the top of my head, 
and now it's like I'm I'm fighting between the two. Uh, I I will say what it won't be. It won't be civil war, because I think <laughs> I think civil war is a bad example of that. Um, I'll go with Ultimate X Men Volume One, because what Ultimate X Men Volume One deals with is, you know, it 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 has that it has that generic idea of you know man versus the state while at the same time looking at a lot of the cultural issues that make the x-men great and i feel the problem with the x-men in the main titles over the last 20 30 years is that they've drifted away from what made the x-men great what made the x-men great was that you could talk about racial issues you could talk about political issues through the mutants and, uh, you know, Mark, Mark and I did an episode about Ultimate X-Men, I think, uh, last week. And, you know, it's one of those comics that kind of that kind of fails my test. I won't say that the story or the artwork is objectively uh, good 20 years later. I, I was part of the Marvel uh, Ultimate, I'm sorry, the Ultimate Marvel audience in the late 90s, early 2000s. That's what the Ultimate Comics were supposed to be for. And what I loved about Ultimate X-Men Volume 1 was that they were able to go ahead and really show what, what I think are the consequences of bad policies. Because what they have is they show clips from the media, they show clips from politicians talking, and everything is done for safety. Everything is done for you know the protection of people. But it comes at the cost of actual lives. And what they've done is they've taken mutants and they've basically made them non-human. So you might have people like Nightcrawler and Beast who don't look like people. But what do you do for folks like Iceman? What do you do for folks like Jean Grey who look like regular people? What, what it does is it looks like it, – what, it what that really does, it goes back to the crux of the X-Men. And it shows a story of what happens when you completely take away the humanity from other people, but what happens when fear leads your policies. And I think whether you're a, you're a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian or not, what that volume shows is really the violence of the state. Within the first issue – you see the Sentinels just like descend upon a city and they start murdering people left and right. And what bothers me the most isn't just the violence that takes place in public. It's when you look between the panels and you see regular people just walking by. It's like, oh, there's a Sentinel there, but I don't care because he's going for mutants and I'm not a mutant and I don't care what happens to mutants. So they can go around killing people. They, they kill a teenager in the, in the front of the book. And, uh, you know, I just remember looking at that as a, as a kid, and I'm just like, you, you don't even know what powers he had. What if it was wrong? What if it, he wasn't a mutant? But they don't care because they're willing to go ahead and have these Sentinels come around. And I think this was actually uh, one of the few X-Men anything where you actually see the Sentinels kill. And that's the thing that makes them terrifying because they were always made up to be these giant formidable opponents in the X-Men comics – but it's not until you actually see them kill somebody and they're actually dead where it's like, okay, this is serious. Yeah. It is an actual threat. So even though I, you know, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, you know, ultimately that's a series I love because it not only introduced me to, you know, what makes comics good. It gave me a lot of what needs to grab my attention, you know, hot women, lots of action, good stories, Wolverine killing people and stuff. But it was able to touch on that in a way that reminds you why the X-Men are so important. And I think, and this is a side tangent, I think it is the greatest sin in comic book anything how 
Marvel Comics and Disney Marvel Studios have completely bastardized the X-Men. Yeah, it's true. Because it is such a there's so much good stuff that they did with they that they set the groundwork of the X-Men because it is like a such a great, like, especially on the cultural side of things, it's so great for like uh, libertarian-minded folks. Like, there's so much there. And also it's so character driven, even just from a story perspective. And they kind of like just forgot that. You know, even with just the X-Men movies, even now with the whole Disney stuff, they kind of were like, this is the Wolverine show. And they forgot, like, no, there's like a whole giant roster of these intriguing characters with their different interesting backstories that, you know, play on different, you know, uh, societal motifs. And like, yeah, like, it's just they forgot about that. It's like, this is a Wolverine show. And on top of that, yeah, there was that they were obviously downplaying it with Disney, you know, like, because of the fact that they were like, well, we don't own these guys. I mean... And now it seems they're trying to turn it around, and it feels like too little, too late. I don't know. I just I don't know. who is it writing for X Men right now? Is it Hickman? No, uh, it's Jonathan Hickman. Don't get don't yeah. get Mark on that on that tangent. He goes he goes crazy yeah. for like ten minutes every episode as soon as anyone brings up Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> but like you know what they've done right now, and I don't know if maybe this is just a temporary thing to change things up, or whether it's going to be a change in the status quo. But it's been like it's been like five years now. And what they've done, and this goes back to Avengers versus X-Men, or as I call it, uh, to make the X-Men succeed, you have to make the, I'm sorry, to make the Avengers succeed, you have to make the X-Men worse. You know, it's like what I meant earlier. It's like you, you need heroes that are, that, you know, stand above, not just tearing others down to make, you know, them higher by default. But, you know, uh, the Avengers comics, and this is coming from someone that loves the Avengers the Avengers comics aren't always that great. Yeah. In fact, there are only like maybe one or two runs that I really can say are pretty good. And that's about it. Whereas I can name a lot of great stories from the X-Men and other characters. But what they tried to do is they they basically tried to paint the X-Men as villains. They tried to uh, basically turn them into, I won't say racist necessarily, but they turn them into like, you know, these these like mutant supremacist guys and what it does it basically takes charles xavier's dream which is really like the mlk dream and it turns it radically into into uh you know malcolm x and that's not the x-men no there's there's a reason why just readers republicans democrats everywhere there's a reason why we love the x-men and it's because they're better than that I would have been cool if it had felt organic, but for me, what's going on with X-Men right now almost feels like they're gearing up and trying to write stories that maybe they can draw inspiration for for movies. And that's what I get the vibe out of. And But it's like, it feels very Hollywood and not good movies, just like they're trying to... Well, I want to know, when did Professor X start walking again? I don't know. Put Motherfucker that dies every, every other... In the wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. Triple. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know. He's, I know I didn't mind when they took Scott a while ago and made him more like in in line with Magneto's thinking, but I don't like what they've the done Osama with. Bin it's like the Osama bin Laden of the X Men. Yeah, it's like when you make Magneto look like the voice of reason, there's a problem, and that's the crazy thing about it. A lot of the X Men characters, Beast especially. They have become so villainous in certain ways that they make Magneto look like the good guy. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what that's what really bothers me. It's like they, they didn't make the heroes better. 
they made them worse. Yeah. And that's not forgivable. It's like when they made Captain America a Nazi, they tried doing it. So it's like, oh, that wasn't really Captain America. But it's like, this can only go on for so long. And what's the point? Was the story good? Was there a point to it? You just did it because you, you needed, instead of making just really good, genuine stories, they were like, we just need to make the guys that are actually succeeding better. And the X-Men books have not sold well ever since. And despite all they've done for the Avengers, Avengers merchandise, great. But Avengers comics, they they don't sell. They're not even in the top 10 for monthly sales. And if you uh, did, did you play the, the recent Avengers video game? I'm not very much in the video. Dude, games it's now. it's like it. Well, I, I'm not much of a gamer either, but I played it because I I felt like I had to. It's Days of Future Past. It is Avengers Days of Future Past, and it's not even hiding it. Yeah, they turn the Sentinels into Aimbots. Um, they turn uh, Trask into Modok. They basically turn Old Man Wolverine and Old Man Hulk, and it's just. They, they because and it's not like there weren't good adventure stories they could have taken inspiration from, but what they had to do, they had to go ahead and take the best X Men story and they made an adventure story, and it doesn't make the Avengers better. No, yeah, wow. all right, with that, let's move on. This will be the last one. This is my pick Superman Red Sun. Yes, yes, this is great because it is such. The reason why it's so perfect and liberty-minded is because it's almost like an inverse. It shows how shit authoritarianism is. It takes the perfect character, the ideal human being, Superman, and injects him into that system and makes him indoctrinated within that system, still with all his morality of how, like, you know, what is right and what is wrong, and it just completely still ends in shit. And, like, that's probably the best way to put it. Like, he still is the the, the, the blue Boy Scout and is the – he is the ideal of, of morality to a sense, but he is of the mind that, you know, communism is the way to go and that we need to, you know, push this upon the world. And it's just such a great story. And, like, honestly, the best, the best part of the whole thing is – anyone who knows anything about Superman knows he's – a big part of his mythos is the city of Kandor. And how he had, like, his people were locked up in a fucking, like, essentially by Brainiac were put into a little bottle, almost like they were just for observation and, Mm -hmm. like, just encased in there. And at the very end of this whole thing, him fighting Lex Luthor, who is, like, weirdly, it's kind of, and it's also on the other end. Kind of (laughs) likable. Yeah, well, it's weird because (laughs) Lex Luthor is still the same exact character that he is in, in modern, in, like, typical comics he's a fucking asshole he's a piece of shit but he's still but he's operating within this system of freedom and capitalism and all that stuff and it's like it's like a complete inverse like the good guy is operating within a bad system and the bad guy is operating within a good system and it's still like so it's not necessarily like is a good guy he's still an asshole he's a complete terrible human being but he's operating within a better system and he you know at one point tells superman you know, why don't you just put them all in a bottle? And that just, for him, just breaks his mind. And it's like the most beautiful, if you read the book, it's kind of like, for him, he's like, holy shit, like this authoritarianism in a nutshell. Like this book is like a perfect refutation of authoritarianism, if you read it all, you know, because it's kind of like how even 
even it's kind of like Milton Friedman is known, best known for one of his lines of like, you know, what I can't remember what, who he's talking to, but he said something to like, he was talking about greed and he's like, and what angels do you expect to rule us that won't have greed? And it's kind of like, but even here in this situation, in this book, it provides you Superman, who is that angel, and it still goes to shit. And it kind of is like a perfect example of that, of like, even in the best case scenario, no, even communism in, in theory is not fucking tenable. Like, even in theory, it's trash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because people always say in theory, it's great. And in practice, it, you know, it just goes to shit. Like, no, even in theory, it's trash. You can put the greatest leader of, of all, you know, Superman, and it still goes goes horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. and I was uh, we, we were talking before the show um, I mean dude you gotta watch Red Sun the movie the animated film that came out uh, about four months ago or something like that uh, I was really afraid because I know they have to take some liberties with it to make it translate well into a film I was really afraid how they were going to take the communism angle mm -hmm. and what I can say is that they really were true to the book which I give them an A plus on. I think Superman Red Sun, the film, is one of the best refutations of communism that you could watch on screen. But uh, there, there's a there's a scene from probably my favorite Superman story, which is uh, All Star Superman, which I think makes me makes me look at the dynamic between President Luther and, uh, you know whatever they call the leader in Russia, the premier Superman or something. And uh, in, in all-star Superman, when uh, Lex Luthor is able to get the powers of Superman at one point, the formula that did that also makes him like, see the secrets of the universe. And he's like, Oh my gosh, um, I could have done so much. I, I could have done so much. And he looks at Superman. He's like, I could have done so much if it weren't for you. And Superman looks at Lex as his powers are fading. Well, Lex Luthor's powers are fading. And Superman's like, you don't understand it. What you did by not doing any of these amazing things that you think you could have done, that was a choice. And, you know, the, the part that just... I think is beautiful about it is after Superman says that you're expecting something witty from Lex Luthor, but Lex Luthor looks up at Superman and he's like, you're right. I did do that. And, and what's funny about this is it definitely shows how in life um, we, we choose what we hate. I think, I think we really choose what we hate, but in a way what it shows is that how just one little thing can change everything. How because the rocket landed in the Soviet Union instead of Smallville, Kansas, Lex Luthor goes on to be a pretty good president. And Superman, who's this messianic figure, turns out, despite all his good intentions, to really threaten the safety of the world, especially when he brings Brainiac in and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's not only a great refutation of communism. It shows that communism kills everything it touches. But it, it's just one of those great singular stories, which is what you can only do in comics. Only in comics can you take the best parts of lore and everything else and you can twist it and say, what if? And that's what comics has that nothing else has ever really been able to do. Yeah, I don't think I can think of a better ending than that. So uh, you want to go ahead and give your plugs while, you, while we're here? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, really, you can go ahead and find me on Parlor. I'm just at Remso, R-E-M-S-O. Um, everywhere else, uh, it's Hey Remso, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And please, I've got I've got uh, my show on the run with Remso W. Martinez. You can find out WeAreLibertarians.com. It's every Monday and Thursday, twice a week. And then the second print comics podcast, which I host – 
with uh, the marvelous Mark Claire. That's every Wednesday coming to you for an hour and a half. That very, very few shows come out weekly for that long. And we do bonus content uh, on Patreon all the time. I've got Remso rants that come out every Sunday. Mark does episodes where he gets drunk and live reads comics. Uh, we've got, you know, free reviews of stuff like uh, Dr. Tomorrow and the JJ Abrams Spider-Man on our website, all of that more secondprintcomics.com. All right. Uh, yeah. And all this stuff is going to be in the, uh, in the video description. So you guys can look for that. Uh, but I'll go into my plugs real quick. We got the Facebook group, the Liberty Movement Facebook group. We got a MeWe. We also got we're on Library. We're on BitChute. Uh, we got our email, thelibertymovementglobal at gmail.com. We're trying to compile an email list. So if you can, shoot me an email at that email. Or if you're in the Facebook group or if you're in the MeWe, hit us up on there. Let us know. Like, hey, give us your email. We're trying to compile an email list. We're trying to get a fucking, you know, we're trying to get a uh, newsletter and, uh, and or site going here soon. You're trying to diversify, you know, with all this election stuff, we really felt the heat of the Zuck. I mean, luckily we seem to have survived for now. So, you know, but yeah, um, we also got merch that we put in there. I usually, you'll see me drinking my mug, the Liberty Movement glo- uh, mug. So we got that too. Uh, yeah. Also like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff. Hook us up. Uh, yeah. It's been really great having you, Rems. I actually really enjoyed this episode a lot. Um, so yeah, with that, uh, deuces. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. I will right, we'll see you, man. <laughs> Bye.